Lowwag to Horror Court, Trash Over the Show, and it discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are on our second Original vs. Remake of 2021. And uh, I, I kind of want last month's Original vs. Remake back. <laughs> well. Oh, come on. Yeah, well, no, of course. Um, <laughs> this is the officially the worst remake we've ever discussed. Oh, yeah. It, this, the, the remake of Carnival of Souls is one of the worst films I've ever watched. It, it makes the Hitcher remake look like an Oscar-worthy masterpiece. Well, it makes it look more entertaining. <laughs> I wouldn't say Oscar-worthy, but more entertaining. Starting off with our poll results, I've got a feeling some people are trolling us this month. <laughs> Because we've got 75% for the original, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. But 25% for the remake. They just want to hear your reaction. I, I think they do. I'm not, I'm not giving it to you. You know Go I'm on. disgusted. Go on, do it. Well, it's just, it's, it's a little silly, isn't it? <laughs> you, you can't be serious. <laughs> I think you need a rewatch. Whoever, the people who voted that, maybe go back and revisit it. And uh, see if you still agree, and let us know. Uh, yeah. So. Um, and if you've only seen the remake, and that's why you voted for the remake, watch the original. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> I much. recommend it. Um, yeah, I've, I've been terrible again. I haven't wrote down the uh, the, the fan comments again, um, and we have had a lot. So I will definitely one hundred and ten percent do it on. Tuesday uh, for our next episode. In the meantime, a- again, please let us know why you vote for the remake. We're Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Getting into the episode, uh, first up, we have Carnival of Souls, released in 1962, directed by Herc Harvey, uh, the only feature length film he directed. He made a lot of short films. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um,. This is a pretty big deal, considering this is his only film. Like, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, no, it, it's great. But I can see how... Did the film start off as a short film? Mm, don't think so. No. I don't think so. Um, it, it would have made a good short film, actually. Mm. Well, the budget was $30,000. Um, I could not find anywhere how much it made. Um, but getting into trivia, Candice Hillegos, who plays lesbian queen Mary Henry... Uh, her agent refused to represent her any further after seeing this film. Really? Yeah, well, more for her, because now it's a court classic. Yeah, it's probably what she's most famous for. Yeah. But also, it's, what, it's not even that risky. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Her Harvey's crew only consisted of five other people besides himself, which is really impressive. Considering yeah. how great this film looks. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a very minimalist film. Though. Yeah. According to um, Hark Harvey, one real footage of the film uh, was ruined during processing. He said it was a long series of shots that was supposed to take place just before Mary sees the souls dancing in the ballroom. In the shot, the ghouls were supposed to slowly appear from behind the rotten dock pylons uh, on the salt uh, yeah, salt flats, yeah, and slowly walk across the uh, the pier to the ballroom where they would begin to dance. Suddenly, the footage was overexposed during processing and couldn't be included in the film. But it's, that, that would just be uh, another piece of a handful of surrealist 
creepy shots in the film anyway. Like, there's that much going on. Yeah, I don't that probably think wouldn't the have added film much misses to it. it too much, no. The original theatrical release in 1962 was a box office failure. Subsequent airings on late-night television helped it gain a strong court following. Uh, it's now regarded as a landmark in psychological horror. Yeah, yeah, it's on the, it's part of the Criterion Collection now. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's influenced a lot of people, uh, particularly David Lynch. Yes, yeah, David Lynch, absolutely. Um, it, it's kind of a very early film in <laughs> what, I don't know who called them this, um, but um, it's... Um, Oh, my God. The Good For Her Cinematic Universe. Kind of. Good For Her. <laughs> no, what's it called? Um, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to you. The shots of the ghouls rising from the Salt Lake were actually filmed in an apartment complex swimming pool near director Harvey's house. i keep the cost down. <laughs> Portions of the film uh, are tinted in a manner similar to silent films. Whenever Mary is one of her altered mental states, the picture has a faint cyan tint... Uh, which all the real scenes are in pure black and white. Later in the film, the tinted segments also have distorted sound and picture. Yeah, and it, it definitely makes a big difference in those scenes. It feels very isolated and it, it adds to why it's so effective. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, it really a helps. According to star Candice Hilligos, uh, the river water she was submerged in for the film's finale was frigid. She said she had to be placed in the water for several hours to get the final shots. One of the actresses lying next to her is trembling from the cold water, which you can see during the final moments. You, you can, yeah. Have you found the name of... What I was going to talk about? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm forgetting now. How embarrassing. Would you like to describe it? No, no. Um, it's... Oh, it's it's kind of a genre of film that, that oh hysterical in a floral dress. Oh, okay. Okay, so somebody came up with this idea, uh, I think a movie or or something, and these films that are hysterical in a floral dress. So there was a lot of films, um, and still to this day, about women having mental breakdowns, mm -hmm. and um, particularly, you know. I, I assume they said in a floral dress because it was all very um, nicely dressed women having breakdowns or, or very pretty women or, you know, middle class women um, having these mental breakdowns. And it was a series of films. Um, and, and you look at it and, uh, you know, it's stuff like Valley of the Dolls, uh, Possession, um, Repulsion is a big one mm -hmm. within that genre. And, what, 1962, Carnival of Souls is very early yeah. on in that sort of um, women having mental breakdowns. You know, that's, yeah. it, it's a whole genre of film. And you, you don't necessarily get that with men. No. You know, you you can't really say there's a, a huge series of films based around men having nervous breakdowns. But with the women, you can. And there's, yeah. lo there's loads of films. You can see the, the list on um letterboxd and there's loads loads of films uh mommy dearest which we need to cover on the podcast showgirls you know there's yeah. loads there's loads well we could do a whole month we could have uh... we could have we could have i mean you know it, it's some of it's inherently um misogynistic but yeah 
It's an it's an int- it's an interesting yeah. theory, and it, it it's led to some really great films, you it know, um, including this one. In the late eighties, Candice Hilligos wrote a treatment for a sequel to the film. She took it to Peter Sobey Jr., who decided instead to produce a remake, which is of course 1998's Carnival of Souls. And Hilligos refused to have any part in the production. Good for her. How would the sequel have worked? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but I find it interesting the fact that the lead actress wrote the script for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Marilyn Burns tried to do something similar with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, where she would have returned to get her revenge. And that is what should have happened instead of majority of the sequels in that franchise. Yeah, yeah. Part two's okay. Part two's great. I love part two. Well, but yeah, after... in its own way. I would have liked to have. I would like to have seen. Um, Marilyn Burns coming back and getting her revenge. Yeah, you get to see a Sally. Sally, you get to see her come back in the next generation for like five seconds. Yeah, loved every second. In an article in September fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven edition of Variety, director George A. Romero noted that this film was the inspiration for Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, oh yeah, massively. Yeah, Mary Henry is more likable than Barbara though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) the failure to include a copyright notice on the film's prints automatically placed the picture into the public domain much like Night of the Living Dead oh okay did you not know this is public domain I didn't know it was public domain oh my god have we not got random colourised versions yeah yeah we have have we really yeah Yeah, growing up I I remember my dad getting it for free in the newspaper once oh lord literally you could get it anywhere this film so, that's exactly why everyone should go watch it. Okay. The story was inspired... Yeah, then there's absolutely no excuse for voting for the remake. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't even cost you anything to watch it. The story was inspired by the Twilight Zone episode, The Hitchhiker, which we haven't seen, but... Okay. Yeah, we need to see that. It was filmed in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. The film's budget was raised over the course of one weekend from local businesses in Lawrence, Kansas... Uh, director and writer Hark Harvey uh, fought the idea of the film after driving past the Saltaire Amusement Park while travelling through Salt Lake City. It, it does toy with the idea of an amusement park in the film. I mean, it's obviously... You get to see a lot more of it in the remake, unfortunately. Um, but, I mean, if you look at pictures and videos of abandoned amusement parks, they're fucking creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It It very much... <laughs> Um, makes me think of these YouTube videos where people go around <laughs> abandon. Uh, what's it? Urban exploring. Mary uh, Henry, the original urban explorer. Yeah. Or, <laughs> um, but you know, it's a perfect kind of place for that sort of shit, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. The original cut of the film ran eighty four minutes, but was cut down to seventy five minutes by driving owners to in order to accommodate more showings. Uh, the film resurfaced in 1989 when it's fully restored and given a more proper release in New York. To save time and money, the director filmed allocations without obtaining permits. I mean, yeah, no one's going to be checking around these fucking areas where he's filming. No, no. No, I suppose not, no. The only professional actor in the film was the lead actress, Candace Heligos, and she was paid $2,500. She turned down a part in Violent Midnight... To take the lead in this film. 
And I've never heard of Violet Midnight, so, so we she, must, did a good she job. must have made the right decision. When the director finished the film, he went back to his original work of making industrial and training films, travelling to South America. Upon returning, he asked the film's distributors, Hearts Lion, for his royalty check. The check bounced and a distribution company folded in 1964. Nice. He won't be getting any money now, I believe. No, Public no. domain. The film was originally released on Double Bill with The Devil's Messenger. A TV pilot for a Swedish horror show. Never heard of that either. The Simpsons producer and writer Dana Gold, a long-time horror fan, addresses this film and his love for it in the supplements on the 2016 Criterion Collection release. Yeah, it's a good release, actually. They, um, they made it look nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, supplements being special features, if anyone isn't aware. Criterion a bit posh like that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Included amongst uh, the American Film Institute's 2001 list of 400 movies nominated for the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. And as well as having a uh, court following as a whole amongst horror fans, it has a special court following amongst LGBT fans who see this as uh, a queer-coded film. Yeah. And it absolutely is. Mary Henry is a lesbian queen, and I stand by that fact, and I will not hear otherwise. And the, but the director hasn't fully come out and said that, has he? No, but come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's great filmmaking. Is, it is. It's open for interpretations. It is. Um, yeah, and it also... It, it just throws it into that basket of, of so many films that if they were made today, you know she just would have been a lesbian character, and there would have been no... Being around the bush. Yeah. You have any more to say on the matter? No. No. <laughs> so. Being around the bush, Gary. Yes, well, I see. I can see what you're taking from that, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> anyway. Yes, excuse we me. We will get I back to apologize. Mary Henry beating around the bush shortly. <laughs> Before then, we have to say a little bit about Carnival of Souls 1998. Uh, here's a quick little fact um, about Carnival of Souls. I don't know if you've West Craven presents. Carnival West Craven Souls, presents sorry. Carnival of Souls from 1998. Quick little fact. I don't think you've got it down there. Um, West Craven presents Carnival of Souls 1998 is within my top five most boring films I have ever had the misfortune to watch. I decided on this original versus remake and I fully apologise to Gary for making his decision. Um, I am ashamed of the fact that uh, I chose for us to watch the this film. Um, you per- you'd already purchased it though, okay. haven't you? <laughs> I love how this has uh, segued into being my fault. Yes, um, <laughs> I brought this out of curiosity to just watch one day when there's nothing else to watch for a laugh. I didn't expect to be analysing it for the podcast. <laughs> so you purchased it on DVD. For 50p. For 50 pence yeah. from CEX, uh-huh. uh, which is is a um, second-hand Blu-ray DVD video game shop in the UK. Uh, what you found inside was a receipt... <laughs> From 2002. So somebody purchased the DVD in 2002. Kept the receipt so, just in case. It was kept shit. the receipt in there just in case. She probably should have uh, used that receipt to return it. Uh, but they decided to take it to a second-hand store. Get a CEX. penny for it. Yeah, and probably got a penny for it. 
Um, so this receipt, almost 20 years old. How much did this poor bastard pay in 2002? A whole £7.99. £7.99 pence for the top five most boring films <laughs> I've ever watched. Um, that poor bastard. Yeah. And only got a penny in exchange for it. This, this is rough. This is... This... I, I, this might be the worst thing that's got Wes Craven's name attached to it. Yeah. And Wes Craven made my soul to take. Um, this is just... There's just nothing to like about it. It's... <laughs> Hate to spoil the end of the episode for you, but there's... No. There's, there's nothing. We have we discussed the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. This hasn't... This didn't even have the decency to be a trash to piece. No. It doesn't even have the decency to be camp or so bad it's good. Um, it's really unexciting, really uninteresting. All the actors look bored. They're not even hamming it up too no. much. They're just they just seem really bored, and I was bored. I really struggled to stay awake. I mean, I, I like really badly struggled to stay awake. I mean, I laughed a few times, but I think I was just from sheer insanity. To be honest, maybe, I think it was from maybe. the film itself. Uh, so yeah, Wes Craven presents Carnival of Souls, released in nineteen ninety eight, directed by Adam Grossman, who only made Sometimes They Come Back Again, the sequel. Remind me to never watch that. Made on a budget of two million dollars. Can we just go back to how much the <laughs> original was made for? So the original was made for thirty thousand dollars. It is a horror masterpiece. It is creepy. It is beautifully made this had two million dollars what the fuck was its excuse they had to pay wes craven money for his executive producer oh, yeah. credit that's where it all went where he had absolutely nothing to do with the <laughs> film itself but they gave him money so they could slap his name on it to sell yeah. a few more DVDs. Can't tell you how much it made because it only had a tiny limited theatrical run and then was straight to video, obviously. Mm. Uh, it's also probably the least amount of trivia I've ever had for any film that's had trivia on the podcast. Uh, it was shot in 1997 but not released until 1998. Lovely. And Sidney Berger, who plays John Linden in the original, plays a cop in the remake. He, I, don't, I don't know what fucking cop he played, but I didn't even see him. It was at the end, at the very end of the film. That's all I have for the remake. Yeah, it was so on the screen for like less than a minute. Back to uh, a good film. Would you like to go through uh, what happens in 1962's Carnival of Souls? Please? I certainly would love to. Um, I'm doing my usual. Are you sure? <laughs> oh my God, it's so unprofessional today. I, I do apologise, everyone. If uh, Wes Craven's Carnival of Souls is finally broken. Yeah, yeah, really has. Oh my god. Um, so in Kansas, Mary Henry, lesbian queen, is riding in a car with two other young women, racing queens. When two men <laughs> challenge them to a drag race, not a RuPaul's drag race, but an actual drag race. During the race, the women's car plunges off a bridge into a river. Three hours after the police start dredging the water to look for them, Mary miraculously surfaces on land, but cannot remember how she survived. Mary moves to Salt Lake City, where she has been hired as a church organist. While driving through the desert, Mary's radio starts playing nothing but strange organ music, 
and she has visions of a ghoulish, pasty-faced figure, simply called the man in dialogue. She also sees a large, abandoned pavilion on the shores of the Great Salt Lake. A gas station attendant tells her the pavilion was first a bathhouse. Excuse me. <laughs> the, what, what, like, like a bathhouse? <laughs> Yeah. Like a dirty bath, like... People or a ba- have, bathhouse is not inherently dirty. People, people have just, to get it on in the 60s as well, you know? just make it into... Yeah, you should, no, no, I disagree. Dirty bathhouses wasn't just invented. No, so bathhouses aren't inherently dirty, just... I mean, you're saying that. Society made them dirty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well... A gas station attendant tells well, the pavilion... Well, anyone who goes to a bathhouse. Oh, shaming <laughs> anyone. I just, I just didn't think... I mean, this In the is, 60s. This is, yeah, but it's not the 60s, though, is it? Because it was first a bathhouse, then a dance hall, and finally a carnival. If so, anyone listened to this who was born in the 60s, please let us know if no, you No, because it wouldn't have been house. a bathhouse in the 60s. <laughs> because in the 60s, it was a, an abandoned carnival. So, but then it was a dance hall before that, and then a bathhouse before that. So the bathhouse was probably in, like, the 20s or 30s. If anyone from the 1920s is still alive and listen yeah. to this podcast, please <laughs> let us know if you went to a dirty bathhouse. If anyone can make contact with anyone from the 1920s If you have any photograph or video evidence of this, please don't send it to us, but please still let us know. Psychic, Psychic Sally or Mystic Meg, if you're listening... Please let us know. Are you also going to leave out the fact that Mary Henry slayed the game on an organ before declaring she is never coming back to her hometown? Uh, yeah, I am going to miss that out. Okay. Because I, I don't think that the actress played the organ. Oh, well, I mean, that's a you horrible... She's saying she was slaying it on the that, organ. That's a horrible accusation right now. Um, I, I, I think, think she was... The I scene where she's playing it with her feet as well, I swear that was her. What, what's, what's the... Um, obviously, it's lip-syncing when you're... Uh, Pretending to sing. Organ syncing. What do you what do you call it when you're pretending to uh, play the an instrument? Uh, Is it just miming? She's organ syncing. Anyway, carry on. She's organ syncing. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, a gas station attendant bath house, bath tells house. her the pavilion was first a bathhouse. Really? Oh, this is bathhouse in the 60s. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> then a dance hall and finally a carnival before it closed. In town, Mary rents a room. She meets the proprietor who informs her there is another lodger staying there. Mary unpacks her suitcase and goes to the church where she will be playing the organ. At the church, she she meets the minister and plays the organ for the first time. Okay. At the new place. (laughs) At the minister's offer, Mary takes a ride out to Pavilion at the lake. She is stopped from entering by the minister who warns her that to enter would be illegal. But to film that's fine <laughs> without a permit. Uh, when she returns to her lodgings, Mary meets a man, John, the only other lodger who wants to become better acquainted. Mary, however, retreats as she is not interested. And this is where we get the uh, probably not interested in men. Um, yeah, he, he just doesn't want to get a picture. She doesn't like cock throughout the entire film. He tries so hard, but it's just not happening. Yeah. And she actually says that at one point, doesn't she? But she says, I don't like cock. She's, yeah, she says, I don't like cock. Doesn't she, Gary? <laughs> she does. <laughs> she doesn't. Uh, that night, she becomes upset when she sees the man downstairs and retreats to her room. 
Soon, Mary begins experiencing terrifying interludes when she becomes invisible and inaudible to the rest of the world, as if she simply is not there. When the man appears briefly in front of her in a park, she flees right into the arms of a Dr. Samuels. He tries to help her, acknowledging he is not a psychiatrist, though. Mary's new employer, the minister, is put off when she declines a reception to meet the congregation. When she practices for the first time, she finds herself shifting from a hymn to eerie music. In a trance, she sees the man and other ghouls dancing at the pavilion. The minister, hearing the strange music, denounces it as sacrilege <laughs> and insists upon her resignation. It's really weird. I just like... have it down as Mary gets a bollocking from the priest for slaying yeah. too hard. She does slay too hard and that's her problem, apparently. Um, well, she goes into something that isn't religious enough for him. <laughs> Even though there's no one else there to listen to. No. What I don't understand about this film is that she has a full-time job as an organ player. Yeah, at the church. Mm -hmm. So is she just sat there the whole day playing organ? Yeah. Whilst people come in and out and... Like, sure, surely she just only, would only do it for special occasions. No, I think some... What, some so if there's no one in the church... Yeah. Apart from the minister, she still has to play organ music for the whole day. Maybe. That's weird, isn't it? I think she'd enjoy it anyway. Well, she clearly didn't, because she went and started doing, you know... Playing death metal. Playing, playing Don't You Want Me Baby by Human League. Or uh, the latest Buddy Holly song. Or whatever the fuck she was playing. Anyway, the minister was having none of it, and she got the sack. Terrified of being alone, Mary agrees to go out on a date with John. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, this subtext is right. Desperation. Down. Yeah. When they return home, he follows her to her bedroom door. John tries to convince Mary to let him stay the night, but she walks away, apparently uninterested. Not apparently, she's just uninterested. <laughs> Nevertheless, he follows her to her bedroom where she sees the man in the mirror. Not Michael Jackson, but the man <laughs> in the... <laughs> the man that she's having, been having visions of within her mirror. Frightened, she tells John what has been happening to her. He leaves, believing she is losing her mind. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a right <laughs> prick, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> like, he just wants to get into her pants pretty much for the whole film. And then and then when she actually needs some help because she's uh, having a bit of a breakdown, he don't want anything to do with it. He wants a he, he wants a piece, but he don't want a piece of uh, crazy. No. After going back to Samuel's office, Mary believes she has to go to the pavilion. However, Mary is confronted by the man and his fellow ghouls. She tries frantically to escape, boarding a bus to leave town, only to find that all the passengers are ghouls. That's a great shot, isn't mm -hmm. it? That's a great shot. When she gets on that bus, yes. and I mean, it's probably been used a thousand times oh, yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but when she gets on that bus and every all the passengers have turned into ghouls, um, it is just a nightmare. She awakes in her car. In the end, she is drawn back to the pavilion where she finds her tormentors dancing, a pale version of herself paired with the man. When she runs away, the ghouls chase her onto the beach. She collapses as they close in. The following day, Samuels, the minister and police go to the pavilion to look for Mary. They find her footprints in the sand and they end abruptly. 
Back in Kansas, her car is pulled from the river. Mary's body is in the front seat alongside the other two women. Ooh. Yeah. The big reveal. So she was dead all along. Uh-huh. So how do you interpret that? Lesbian context aside, or subcontext aside, how do you interpret that ending? I struggled slightly with it. I was like, oh, what does this mean? I think she was just a, a ghost wandering around. Um, I mean, I don't know what else I could take from it. No. I find it weird. I think it, it is literally... It's a very Twilight Zone mm. ending. You can see where the inspiration came from. Absolutely. Um, and I think it was just there as, as a shocking twist, which, I mean, in 1962, that would have been a very shocking twist because, I mean, she's interacted with everybody around that little town. It did make me question whether everyone in that town was also dead, though. Yeah. So, potentially, because there were certain people that she couldn't speak to or hear... Yeah. So are the, are the people that she was interacting with already dead? Exactly. Was she in some form of limbo? That did that did cross my mind. Um, because I interpret it right up until the end. I sort of interpret it as if um, it was a, a final destination mm. sort of plot where she had actually meant to die in that... Um, drowning after the car accident. She was actually meant to drive and that this man, this ghoul that was following her was deaf incarnate taking her back, you you know. And so she was sort of stuck in some sort of limbo. That's how I interpreted that until that ending where it was, she was dead all along. But she could have been dead after because, I mean, that ending was them closing in on her. So yeah. that could very well be the case. Yeah, I I think it's it's open to interpretations. Uh, I mean, about what that ending yeah. means. Um, it's also open to interpretations, like we've we've said, with um the idea that Mary is a repressed homosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, she throughout the film, uh, states that she's not particularly religious. Um, she doesn't particularly agree with the religion, but she sees her organ playing as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays the organ and she gets paid for it, and, and that's it. She has no interest in the church. Um, she has no interest in um, making friends, really, with no, the people she's, who she's, are part of the church. She's only really sassy to anyone involved with religion or men. Yeah. Yeah, she's really not interested in Mr. Linden. She gets along well with Mrs. Thomas, the landlady. Yeah. Um, but then everyone else could just go fuck themselves, as far as she's concerned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so it's not kind of... People aren't necessarily against her. She's more against them. Yeah. She's got no interest in them and only really relies on Mr. Linden when um, she's afraid to be alone. Yeah. Um, which, come on. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she's afraid to be open about herself for fear of rejection and dying alone and being yeah. alone. Um, so she forces herself to take some sort of interest in a man. Mm-hmm. Um, her, her sort of mental breakdown over it pushes him away. 
Um, so I don't. I don't. I think it's a bit clunky to say that the man is a representation of her fear of men mm. because she's a homosexual. I think maybe that's a little clunky enough. A uh, little clunky. Um, but I, th- I think there could be seen something there. Yeah. This this ghoul representing her potential repressed homosexuality mm-hmm. or a, a part a side of her that um, she doesn't necessarily want to face. No. Or for fear of, you know, being alone or dying alone or rejection or, you know... Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting interpretation. Um, I think good cinema opens itself to those yeah. sort of interpretations. If it was the director's intention, it, it, I think it's unlikely. Mm. Um, but a great story, you know, you can make your own. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. On to a film where you can't take anything from it at all. No, no. Um, the the original is it's a slow burn. It's not a particularly long film, but it's not heavy on plot. It's a it's a slow burn, but it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. Because it, the horror aspects, because it builds an atmosphere. Um, because we, we get to know Mary as a character, mm. uh, but it's a slow burn. If you, you didn't, know, really if you didn't is. have Carnival of Souls, you wouldn't have your A twenty four horror films these days, or your David Lynch films. Uh, anything that's really experimented with horror, you wouldn't have if it wasn't Carnival of Souls, and Meshes of the Afternoon, of course. But as a feature film, this was a milestone in horror filmmaking. Mm. I, I definitely I would put it up there with other horror classics and in, in the way of milestone filmmaking, but this one is obviously for surrealism within horror cinema. Yeah, yeah. But into a film that is yeah. not a milestone or an inspiration to anybody. Yeah, and and that's what I was getting at. I mean, the original being a slow burn, being very atmospheric, um, as the majority of horror remakes that I've seen do. Um, this remake. Just puts that to the side. Yes. Wes Craven's Carnival of Souls starts with a little girl called Alex witnessing an attempted rape on her mother by a guy called Lewis, who then snaps her neck whilst Alex holds a gun to him and says, Please don't hurt my mummy. With absolutely no life in a performance at all. So immediately, it's exploiting rape. Well, it is. It, It is. And it's. It's not. It doesn't want to say anything about it. No. It doesn't want to say anything about it. It includes child abuse in this film as well. It doesn't want to say anything about that. It is a cheap plot point to move things along and shock people. Exactly. And that's disgusting. Like, Lord forbid that the original just had a drag race gone wrong. Yeah. Which sounds weird to say out loud. Um, but that's that's what it was. But the remake had to have... You know, okay. Uh, what we're we gonna what we're we gonna do? Uh, well, let's have her mum being raped. Okay. Um, the guy's abusive to the mum. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and abusive to the girl as well. Let, yeah. Let's just throw that in for good measure. You know, that's that. Let's just uh, really go over the top. That'll really get people, you know, um, horrified and really bring some suspense to the film. No, it won't. And here we have. The rest of the plot. Now, from this point onwards, it might sound like I'm not making a lot of sense. That's fine. 
this film doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> I have never seen a film with so many flashbacks and fucking teleporting in my entire life. <laughs> if you play a drinking game for every time this lead character appeared in a different place or had a dream, you'd be fucking plastered. <laughs> so 20 years later, Lewis puts a gun in Alex's mouth and orders her to take him to a familiar place. Get it? Because the gun's his dick. <laughs> Uh, the car journey involves more bad acting and Lewis admiring Alex's tits, of course. He makes her drive to a pier with a fun house. She drives off the pier and for the first of many times, she wakes up in the bath. A different place. Yes. Alex and Sandra. Sandra played by Saw franchise star Shawnee Smith, who is abysmal in this film. She's awful in this film. Really, really bad. I'm sorry. Beautiful girl, but an awful acting. <laughs> they discuss how they want to make enough money to move away and how Alex has been having nose nightmares again. And Alex keeps seeing a red balloon because they've watched the It TV miniseries <laughs> and wanted to be like that as well. Alex yeah, what's with the fucking red balloon? It, it, for fuck's sake. Fucking stupid. Alex goes to see an old lady about a flood in her basement. And the old lady <laughs> is confused. <laughs> so you caught me off guard with that. She does. I think I am. in the basement. <laughs> Sorry. I do apologize. She flooded the basement because she thought she was going to be in a good film, but then realised <laughs> she's in this film. The old lady is confused to find that Alex is from the old mermaid bar because she thought it closed down ten years ago. Is this the old lady that's in everything? Yeah, yeah. She, I think she was in The Wedding Singer with the meatballs. She was in, she was in The Wedding Singer, but she, she was in loads. She, like, started her career when she was 70 and ju- was just in loads. She, she lived till over 100. Um, wow, I felt like that was really much later in the film than it was. <laughs> no, that's how boring this film is. So I was like, are we there So the whole film to go. Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, Alex goes to get her car washed and acts like something's wrong when she's just in a car wash. But obviously she knows she's in a horror film and she predicted this was going to happen. And for the first of many times... Uh, I'm not even going to say any bizarre series of events. This film doesn't deserve it. No. Um, it's it just bizarre me. that it was even made. Um, we get really budget Poundland versions of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Um, they have no eyes, they have, have a mouth, um, and they're in a clear bodysuit, and they look fucking dumb, and they just appear every now and then for jump scares. Yeah. Literally, like, what is this just jump scares. To, what is this meant to be? What is this meant to represent? I assume they're meant to be the ghouls from the original, but I fucking doubt it. it. It's, it they look like, um, <laughs> they kind of look like, if, you, if you've ever seen a video of someone making a sausage... <laughs> I mean, it kind what? of looks like that, but gone wrong. <laughs> the fuck? Have you never seen a video of someone making a sausage? <laughs> like, that, that, that sausage skin. You know the skin of a sausage? Okay. Well, the, the sausages start giving jump scares. <laughs> um, one of them lifts its head off, because, oh, edgy. Um, one of them was licking her window. Ooh. And uh, the water from the edgy. car wash... For the first time uh, in two films we're going to discuss over the next week, the car wash water starts building up in the car. It's meant to be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Come back on we'll Tuesday dis- for more car we'll wash discussing trauma. that next week. 
<laughs> Alex somehow a- appears in the water by the pier. She's teleported. But then, she's not there for long, because she wakes up again in a fucking junkyard. She then has flashbacks of speaking to Lewis, who was a clown at a carnival. Sandra tells Lewis that their dad is dead, and their mother offers to buy him a drink. After this, we go back to modern day. Michael and Alex meet while she's daydreaming at the pier. Michael being this film's version of John Linden. Um, But just with no acting skills whatsoever. Um, He hopes he can take her for a ride someday. I forgot he was in this film. Alex has more visions of Nancy Lewis uh, and budget Cenobites, the sausages... Um, Sid gives her a picture of her, Sid being the guy who works at the bar with her, gives her a picture of her and Lewis. And on the back of the picture it says the fun is just beginning. And apparently she gave that to him. So she goes to speak to Officer Sobe uh, about it. And he reveals that Lewis is dead so he can't help her. And she's a crazy bitch. And then just leaves her. Alex Alex has a flashback to Lewis dressing her up as a clown. Uh, and then has an argument with Sandra about moving away. Sandra and Alex get a little too close on the bed when Sandra gives Alex a necklace with a picture of them and their mum inside the necklace. There's something dodgy going on between Sandra and Alex, considering they're sisters. It's, yeah, it's... There were moments in the film where I feel like the actors weren't told they were sisters. Yeah, they looked like they were going to kiss. They looked like they were, yeah. Like, seriously, looked like they were about to kiss. Like, just suddenly, they, they filmed, and then suddenly, like, actually, uh, we're a bit scared to have these two as lovers, so we're going to cut out the kissing scenes, um, keep some of the scenes, and they're going to be sisters now. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Alex magically teleports again to the fun fair on the pier, um, but is cornered by the people who work there as they tell her she's not ready yet. She's then teleported again to the other side of the gate and wakes up and reveals it's a fucking dream! I wish she was ready. It would have been a quick end to the film. After this dream, she has some more Nazi flashbacks with Lewis and Alex. I mean, she is Alex, whatever. Sandra gives us a random... <laughs> Sandra gives us a random musical number. Uh, whilst Alex and Michael are so fucking rude and just talk over the top of it throughout. Well, let, let's be fair. It's, it's a bit like the start of uh, From Justin to Kelly. Well. Um, th- this film is references to a lot of other films we've covered. Um, but yeah, so at the beginning of Justin to Kelly when she's singing to three people in the bar. It's not exactly jam-packed, is it? No. Well, Alex um, goes to see her suspicious doctor to ask him if there's a diagnosis for random jump scares. Uh, and he's basically like, I don't know who you fucking are. Get out of here. And she leaves. Diagnosis for random jumps. Like, she literally, he doesn't know who she is. <laughs> no he's idea. Like, okay, bye. <laughs> Michael and Alex have a really long and really boring debate about whether or not her mother was ready to die. Oh, my God. What the fuck was that guy going on about? Oh, how do you know she wasn't ready to die? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, so literally, so, I've got, well, I've got she was young. down. <laughs> It's one of the moments that actually got a bit of um, attention attention from me, uh, where I actually had something to say. Um, yeah, um, he said, she, like, she said she died too soon. And then, so this, the love interest guy, I don't, don't know his name, I don't, don't give a shit. Um, he said, how did you know that? I'm like, because she had two young children, uh, because somebody murdered her. 
Um, and, and then she's like, oh, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, maybe, maybe it was her time and maybe she was ready. I'm like, no, she was fucking <laughs> murdered in front of her very young daughter. She loved her children and wanted to see them grow older and wanted to support them. Like, of course she died young. Like, what a fucking weird thing to say. Like, are you trying to be profound? Because it's not working. Oh, you just sound the like screenwriter for this film really thought they were cleverer than they actually are. Is that his way of flirting? It's so... There's so many things in this film that are so metaphorical. It's like, oh, oh, that's so deep. I can't believe he just said that. But he just spent about ten minutes telling her her mum was probably ready to die. Exactly. If anyone said that to me, I'd be like, okay, you're no longer a love interest in this film. Bye. <laughs> Um, Lewis turns into one big face and confronts Alex from inside a mirror and tells her he, that she always knows where to find him. <sighs> Michael offers to take Alex to the carnival pier on his boat. He literally just slides into the screen on his fucking boat. I'll take you. <laughs> and he proceeds to tell her sometimes she needs to face the demons to see the angels. Another fucking... Stupid shit like the that. What does that even mean? And they have officially, it's Beat Showgirls. They have the worst sex scene in the history of cinema. <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> yeah, worse than Showgirls and The Room combined. Like, this is, it looks like the actors have never had sex before. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, surely. He, rips, he takes the knickers off, takes the tights off. And he does it, he rips them off, you know, he's being all sexy and stuff. He keeps his jeans on. And it looks like they're trying to break a fence down. It looks like they're just pushing against the fence, trying to break it down. Or they're at a gig, they're at a concert, and the crowd's pushed forward and they're just trying to get out of the way of everyone. It, it looks so fucking weird. But his jeans don't come off. No. He doesn't unzip it. He doesn't even unzip them. You see a very slight a bit of his ass crack, like the top of his ass crack, don't you? She is pretty much fully dressed, apart from tights and knickers, and they are. I don't know what they. I really don't know what. It it looked like there was a glitch on the camera. The way they were moving, it's fucking weird. Her her vagina must have been fucking. It must have been in pain. After that, it must have been. the way he was going on to work, like, but I don't know what he was doing. He wasn't even. Caught in his zip. It wasn't even humping her. It was like little bounces. It, it was. It was really bad, and you, you know, if you if you're not wanting to show nudity, if you're not wanting to show anything like that, then why have the sex scene? Just have them kiss but, and then just wake up in bed together. It, it like, gets even worse. Point? It gets even worse because not only did they have the audacity to include this fucking horrendous scene. It turns into a rape scene. Another one. Yeah. It, he turns into Lewis. Yeah. They have a. It turns into a rape scene as a jump scare, and then we get some more jump scares with the sausages, and then Alex is teleported again onto the Ferris wheel. The fuck. So what? What the? This the filmmakers, be honest, could not give a shit. They couldn't give a shit. What they're trying to do is her, obviously her losing her mind. And she doesn't know what's real or not. Um, She doesn't know if she's awake or asleep or dream or whatever. Um, She's here, there and everywhere and stuff. 
which is fine. But what? How many times in a row have you done this it's shit? It's all it does. It's, it's the only thing the film does. It, the film does. And whereas that sort of stuff happens in the original, but it only happens twice, really. Yeah. But then in this one, it's every every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's like you can't even keep track. It just becomes confusing. It's not even open to interpretation or anything like that because it's so muddled. That it just yeah. makes no sense. And there's, there's also... Uh, um, I don't think I even got it written down. It's one of the flashback scenes where she's um, with him, uh, with, with Lewis, the nonce. And like he's like, oh, now we have to do mine. And she's like, but your face is painted. Oh, I'm not talking about my face. Yeah. He's like, oh, come on. And that is such a cheap fucking play on a real life traumatic experience. Yeah, it it's just it's just stupid. Like it's, that it's, it's really a very stupid. you know, it's a very real thing and to throw it into such a cheap film it's just fucking it's just shit. It's the kind of side of horror that I don't like is this you know use of um predatory behavior or rape. Or... You look at something like Never Take Sweets from a Stranger. That yeah. was made in like the 50s, I believe, or 60s. And that film deals with it properly. It, it, it raises yeah. awareness and it's effective. There's so many films that just, like this and the shitty Nightmare on Elm Street remake, that just use it as a bit of shock. And that's just so wrong. Yeah. On so many levels. That's true. Anything else to say? <laughs> no. no. Well, I, I started saying no, it. No, carry on. That's what I was waiting no, for. No, I started on. saying it. You interrupted me and finished by saying yeah. what I was going to say. Oh, cool. there so we go. there we go. <laughs> anyway, rant over. Um, cute couple rant about exploiting child abuse. Um, so... Cute couple rant? <laughs> I finished your rant for you. Oh. I thought you were talking about us. We are. No, we're a lot of things, but we ain't cute. Oh, well, I was talking about us, so go (laughs) fuck yourself. Anyway, so Alex is chased into the funhouse by a dog. She walks into a room where she is dressed like a child, yawn, with a big bed and a red balloon with Lewis's face on it. With a very shitty effect. Balloon is wrapped around her face. Oh, my God, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, the, uh, the balloon's wrapped around her face. The sausages go in absolute fucking overdrive with the jump scares. It, it looks like the editor broke his machine at that point because it, it was every second. Um, Lewis and Alex talk some shit about how he likes to fuck kids and whether or not she'll kill him. Alex magically teleports again into the car wash and then back onto the pier. Alex drives the car into the pier. The next day, the police find the car with her dead in it and Lewis as well somehow. Um, they discuss how there hasn't been a carnival in the town in over 20 years before Sandra gets the phone call with some carnival music and thank fuck for that, that was the end of the film. What does that even mean? That ending, What's, what the fuck She got a mean? phone call from the original film soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, to remind you, you're not in this film, you're in the shitty remake. Well, what, so... So... Had she died in the car with Lewis? Yeah. Okay. 20 years previous. You know how we discussed this about the original film? There's no point because it meant nothing. The screenwriters for this film are clearly pieces of shit. They couldn't care less 
what this film meant. I couldn't care less who it triggers or anything with their fucking little abuse subplots. It's honestly, it's dire. I I don't have a nice thing to say about it at no, all. It, it, really, it it is truly one of the worst films I've ever watched. Uh, getting into cinematography, soundtrack, and scares. Spoiler alert: we're not going to give anything to nineteen ninety eight. Um, 1962 obviously delves into surrealism, uh, claustrophobic horror at times when, you know, she's dead to the world and we see that through Mary's eyes. Um, and it's, it's really fucking creepy. And I think the cinematography and the perfect framing and the use of these locations, it, it, it's so perfect. It, it, the way it's made is just amazing. Yeah, and I would put it in the category of one of those films that um has to be black and white yeah yeah it's that could not have been filmed in color no and and i i think all colorization shit anyway yeah um but regardless of that um i feel like that should never have been filmed in color no and it wasn't which is a great decision i i, I know it's a budgetary thing yeah. Um, but it really works. Really works yeah. in black and white. And I found the soundtrack was really clever in the way that it's carnival style music coming from an organ. Obviously, you know, two of the film's main themes is that Mary's an organ player and it's set around a carnival. Uh, and it just adds to the authenticity of the film and it's just, it fits like a glove. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the soundtrack had to be organ music. Yeah. Because probably in Mary's head, who's playing... Uh, what I gather is organ music for hours and hours on end. Yeah. That's going to be going through her head, even when she's not playing. You know, if you hear something mm-hmm. enough, it's going to be stuck in there. Um, so I thought it was a great touch for the soundtrack to be organ music. Yeah. Because it's a connection between us and Mary, the character. It makes you, looking at the filmmaking side of things, it really makes you wonder what could have came of Hark Harvey if he had he made more horror films. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where soundtrack helps a film. I I just really enjoyed the soundtrack, so that's why I'm sort of focused on it a little more. Um, Where the soundtrack helps the film Mm -hmm. because you don't know what is actual soundtrack or what's actually playing in the film. In terms of what's playing in Mary's head Mm -hmm. uh, and what we're hearing... You know, there are plenty of films, you know, like Jaws, that have iconic soundtracks that mm. work really well for different reasons. Yeah. You know, no one thinks that the, that soundtrack is coming out of the shark as no. it's coming along. But in the film like this, that is the kind of music that is going to be in Mary's head. Yeah. So what, where are we? Where is this camera? Yeah. Where, you know, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, what... what POV are we getting yeah. of the events? Yeah, it's like an extra character. Yeah, and it's, it adds to the surrealism as yeah. well. 1998, we get shitty TV film music. Uh, as far as scares go, I am going to waste my time. Uh, the original is a masterclass in scares. Um, it's still effective to this very day. And, and like you said, you know the fact that it's in black and white as well kind of makes it timeless with those scares, yeah. uh, especially with the new uh, restoration from Criterion. It, yeah, it looks like it could have been made last week. This fucking remake, it's aged awfully. Just there's no, nothing looks good, nothing sounds good. So the winner is 1962. 
Um, yeah, because all you need is sometimes all you need is just a creepy looking guy yeah. who can pull a nice creepy face uh, with just white makeup on. Yeah. And it worked. Exactly. You don't have to have these condom sausage creatures. No. Um, filmed like a uh, late 90s, early 2000s rock music video. Mm. You know that, oh, where, like, random things are sped up for, for no apparent yeah. reason? Oh, it just reminds me of, like, a Marilyn Manson oh, music video. You know, yeah. shit, stuff like that. Which worked in music videos. You know, I'm not dissing anyone. Um, well, we are dissing Marilyn Manson. It's a piece of shit. Oh, God, yeah, he is, isn't he? Oh, bloody hell. I, I've struggled to keep track of who's a piece of shit. I think there's the majority of people. Anyone involved with the 1998 Carnival Souls. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Are you ready to move on to characters? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, in the lead, we have Mary, played by Candace Hilligos in 1962, and Alex, played by Bobby Phillips in 1998. So, Candace Hilligos is a wonderful actress, and she never becomes annoying. Like, again, going back to the comparison with Barbara from Night of the Living Dead, Barbara is someone who's had a traumatic experience, and she just whinges throughout the entire film. Mary Henry is a fucking strong bitch. She is the character you want in the lead of a horror film. You know, she's scared of this guy, admittedly. But outside of that guy, she takes no shit from anyone. She is a strong, independent character. Well, she is. And she's an interesting one as well. Um, which, which is good. We've got that development mm-hmm. there. She's, she's an interesting character. She's a strong one. Um, and yeah, she, we care about what happens to her and it makes us intrigued and we want to figure out what's going on Yeah, because we're interested in her and her story. Which is why she's the winner and why Bobby Phillips' lifeless performance as Alex couldn't even come close. It's just... We've touched on it. We kept saying it when we were going through. You know, sexual assault surviving is not a cheap character trait to no. try and build character development. It's not. It doesn't work. Unless you're really going into it, it just makes you look like an arsehole. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work. It's not a character trait in a film. It's not. No. Shouldn't be used that way. No. And... It really just takes so much away from that character. Had it been a serious film, had it been, you know, um, like a drama maybe. You know, some horror, horror films can do it. Like I said, never takes from a stranger. If it had actually been more of a serious film, then, you know, maybe it would have worked. But considering so little care had been put into everything else in the film and into this subplot... It just genuinely looks so cheap and just exploited. It does. It, and, it, it, and she looked bored. The actress looked bored. Yeah. Beautiful girl, but she just She was so bored. bored. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't care oh, and that, to any character. Do you know what? Film. She loses for that fucking skirt as well. <laughs> horrendous. Really horrendous. For the antagonist, we have the man in 1962, played by director Herc Harvey. Really? Um, yeah, it is. And, I didn't uh, know that. Uh-huh. And Lewis in 1998, played by Larry Miller. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> something we never say in the original versus remake. 
this character, this this Lewis character, is not winning because he has more to do. That's for certain. Normally, yeah. that's the case. Normally, if a character's got more to do, we give it to them. But that's not happening here because yeah. the yeah. man, he's he is creepy. He is so creepy. The thing is, it does what pretty much every single horror remake does is that it gives a backstory to someone who didn't need a backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, the man in the original film, who is he? What is he? Completely open for interpretation. Yeah, still you know, and makes it way more engaging. Yeah. In the remake, oh, it's Larry. Yeah. It's Larry. She's haunted by Larry. Well, Larry's the actor. Oh. <laughs> Lewis. Lewis, whatever. <laughs> Lewis. And they also spelled his name like Louis, but called him Lewis in the film, which is fucking dumb. Um, but yeah, no, it, honestly, Hark Harvey... Well, no, like St. Louis. You, don't say, uh, you wouldn't say St. Louis. Oh, I don't fucking St. Louis. Um, but Hark Harvey obviously knew what he wanted from the film, so I think him playing that character really helped get that creepiness across. Yeah, and there's a minimalism to yeah. it. Yeah. Sometimes less really is more. Yeah. There's a reason why the shot of him rising from the water is iconic, and the shot of Larry Miller's face on a fucking balloon isn't. <laughs> so, well done, Hark Harvey. <laughs> you, you win in, in all areas. Um, and then, love interest, last but not least, <laughs> we have John, played by Sidney Berger in 1962, and <laughs> Michael, played by Paul Johansson in 1998. Okay, <laughs> what the so... fuck was Michael doing in this film? Well, yeah, and... and... <laughs> Let's be fair, Paul Linden, in the original, he didn't have... John, John, John Linden. Linden. For fuck's sake, why can't I remember anyone's name? I swear this remake has frazzled my brain. It's frazzled. Um, where was I? Oh, in the original, he didn't really have much to do. Let's let's be fair. No. It's not his... He's not really... He's just kind of there to be rejected. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's, I mean, I should say, he's not a love interest. He wants to be the love he interest. He wants to be a love interest. Um... So, so, you know, and he does that perfectly well, the actor. He hadn't acted before. Um, he turned up in a very brief cameo in the remake. Um, didn't act after, you know, they're the only two films he's been mm. in. He does a, a, a decent job, you know. It, yeah. it, he just doesn't have much to do, uh, which, is, which is fine. You know, that's not what the character is yeah, there for. And the character isn't particularly likeable, but... no. With Michael, you could literally just put a plank of wood there and he'd have more personality. Um, yeah, than the absolutely stale performance by the guy in the room. And, and I'm not even going to get started on that sex scene again. He automatically loses just from that. So overall, of course, our winner by quite the margin is Carnival of Souls from 1962. Absolutely. Um, watch it. It's available anywhere. You just... I'm, I'm it, sure you'll find YouTube. it. Just don't watch the colorized version. No, no. Um, watch the black and white version. Um, you know, it, it is a horror masterpiece. It is a milestone in horror it filmmaking. Is. It's, it is a slow burn. It's a slow film. It's very minimalist. Um, it's quite surreal at times. If that's your thing, you, you've got a five-star classic yeah. on your hands. You're going to really enjoy this. Um, so yes, please watch the original. Do not step Don't foot watch... near the nineteen ninety eight remake. No. And and if you are that poor person who in two thousand and two <laughs> walked into their local Woolworths and paid seven ninety nine for um, Carnival of Souls, the remake, Wes Craven presents, 
um, then I feel really sorry for you. Um, if you give us an email, we'll give you a, a free <laughs> um, horror court trash of a pin badge uh, to say sorry. Don't for get you. people excited. We haven't got them made yet. <laughs> but when we do, it, tell you what, I'll go one better. If you're listening to this and you are that person, <laughs> and don't bullshit me and say you are on though. Um, then we need to see a receipt. Yeah, email oh. me. Email me <laughs> with some sort of proof, and I will give you a refund. I will so, give you seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine. Poor bastard. And the DVD if you want it. <laughs> and the DVD's open for grabs to anyone. If anyone wants it, let me know. You can have it. Um, <laughs> so that brings us to best and worst of the month, and we are back to where we started with best and worst of the month, and we can now talk about. Newly released films. Can I at least mention some older films that if, I really if enjoyed? If you though? would like to. Thank you. Go on then. Oh, no, you start. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously I'd like to mention that we did a Bong Joon-ho marathon, which was fantastic. Um, we've obviously been watching films of Women in Horror Month, which have all been amazing. Apart from a girl walks home alone at night, which I was really disappointed by. Really disappointed, but that one. getting into best and worst new films of the month, uh, which will be the format going forward, but we can mention other things we've watched. I think we're going to have the same for both, so yes. what's your, what do you want to mention? Oh, so I'd like to mention Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Yes. Love that, but watch that for the first time. What a great film. That was so enjoyable. Um, I'd like to also mention um, another, oh, oh, the two Douglas Sirk films that we watched. Yep. Uh, Written on the Wind and Imitation of Life. Uh, fantastic. Yep. Love a bit of camp melodrama. No one does it better than Douglas Sirk. Uh, the Nightingale. Zephyrly uh, deserves to mention. Yes. yes. Um, also, a very close runner-up for me in Best of the Month, uh, with new releases... Uh, is promising young woman. Yeah, which is, it's it's not like anything else that's out at the moment. Or has been out for a, a long time. It, it is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. It it really it really is. Um, Carrie Mulligan does a sensational job. Yeah. In the real right, really good. She makes that film. It's a great film, but she re- her performance really makes yeah. it something special. Absolutely. So. Best or worst first? What do you want to do? Uh, well, let's do worst. <laughs> Go on then. Um, so, <laughs> another apology to Gary here, because uh, I put this film on. Yeah. It was the Wendy Williams, the movie. Um, so it's a Lifetime movie, um, a TV, TV movie. And li- Lifetime movies, as far as I know, because we don't get many come over here. That's a good reason for that. That's a good reason. Uh, but the, the very cheesy um, and, yeah, very uh, <coughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Wendy Williams is no exception. I find Wendy Williams hilarious. She's problematic. So I think, I think we've cancelled her now, particularly after this film. Um, well, particularly after she defended Britney Spears' dad. Yeah, yeah, and she said quite a few transphobic things in the past, which disappoints me. Um, but I, I, I always found her hilarious, um, for all the wrong reasons or right reasons. Um, 
But we watched this film and it, it was it was really boring. It was the biggest ego trip. It was such an ego trip. Not an ounce of humbleness within the whole thing. No. You'd think she'd cured cancer. Um, yeah. And, you know, considering she said that she was going to let it all out there and she was going to, you know, tell the truth, spill the tea, all that business... There wasn't really much to it. No. It was essentially just her taking back her cheating husband a few times and sort of making out as if she was the biggest radio presenter the world's ever seen. Mm. Um, really disappointing. Um, didn't discuss fart great at all. No. You know, there was no mention of the time where everyone thought she farted on TV. But it does show a fainting, and that was It did show a fainting, that was entertaining. Um, that if, if you haven't seen it, YouTube it, that really weird faint she did um, at Halloween, because her costume, the Statue of Liberty was too tight. But yeah, just re- really crap, really yeah. crap. Very disappointed. I thought it was going to be camp. I thought it was really going to spill some absolute tea, um, but didn't. Nope. But that brings us to the best of the month. The film we watched only yesterday, well, two days ago. You listened to us on Friday. Uh, it is Minari. Yeah. So good. A, a so film, good. A, a film that just has to be seen by everyone. Yeah. It's the epitome of a film that is light. It is quite light on plot. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally about a, far, a family moving to a farm. That's, yeah. Um, that's it. It's... Quite light on the dramatics until, you know, certain times. Um, But it's a real charming, heartwarming, like, interesting film about... and, And it's, you know, films don't have to be huge, mega stories. No. Films can be about everyday people... And still just be as interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it I, I genuinely, it was great. It, you know, it, it managed to be optimistic whilst still showing the shitty times his family was going through. And the directing was out of this world. Like, it's one of the most beautiful films I've seen in a while. Mm. It, it was, actually. Like, everything about it was just perfectly acting. You know, no doubt the acting will get snubbed at the Oscars, um, but particularly the grandmother, you know, she really deserves she was an great. Oscar. Yeah, she was great. And it, it celebrates a culture, it celebrates people. Yeah. And families and relationships and it, it, it's it's just, it was a really nice film and, and you got a little teary at points, did. didn't you? Did. Um, yeah, it just, it makes you feel something. Um yeah absolutely so that is our best and worst of the month and that is it for this month's original versus remake episode uh if you are listening on itunes don't forget to rate review subscribe like or follow and everything else if you want to uh go on my letterbox where i've created that list i was talking about in the last episode for women in horror month i'm dead at gaz 92 on letterboxd gazme 205 on instagram and gaz cruise 92 on twitter i'm chris barker 823 on letterboxd instagram and twitter on Tuesday, we will be back discussing the Final Destination franchise from front to back. From front to back? From front to back. Side to side. <laughs> side to the sides. whole thing. Yes, we will. And um, another film, uh, including another film with a uh, traumatic car wash 
Um, yeah, we'll be discussing the, as a whole, slightly iffy Final Destination series. Well, um, not as a whole wow. iffy. And four is very iffy. Three is <laughs> iffy. Anyway, and next month we'll be back with for Original versus Remake with the Toolbox Murders. <gasps> I haven't seen either, I don't think. No, yet. you wouldn't have. I've no. seen the remake and I really enjoyed it when I was like... 12. So oh let's, God, uh, it's gonna be shit. <laughs> let's see how that holds oh, up. Bloody hell. But we'll, we'll until then we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.